Thank you. Morning, everybody. So part of how we're going to do this this series um, is thinking about the gospel being good news and thinking that there are loads of different ways we can we can tell that story. There isn't just one script, although you may have been taught one, about what the good news is. Um, and so even in this one book of Romans that we're going to kind of unpack, as Paul writes this book and as he unpacks it, he builds this kind of argument with all these layers and each of these different dimensions in some ways gives you an insight into like what it means that the life, death and resurrection of Jesus is good news. So I'm going to kick us off looking at Romans 2 in, I think, quite an unlikely place. <laughs> I'm not sure that if you were going to be like, just tell me the good news in a word, you'd be like, judgment. Um, but that's what I'm going to try and do this morning. I'm going to try and make a case that this is good news, that this very, very, very old letter, the letter to Romans, that suggests that God is a righteous judge is actually really, really good news. So what we're talking about, um, actually, before I get into that, two things very simply. The first is the idea that God is righteous. And the second is the idea that God is judge. And the righteous bit, I was going to just replace with the word good until I looked it up and realized like good doesn't really get at it. It's much more than good. Um, the dictionary says, and it's very good, excellent, morally right. It's about truth. It's about rightness. It's about excellence. That's the kind of words that are being captured in this word righteous. And I'll say at the start that these two ideas, God being righteous and God being a judge, are really important to one another. You can't really get to the judge bit without the righteous bit. But I'm not going to go there very much. I'm not going to do a whole thing about why God is righteous, partly because I think it's, um, it's huge. So I'm slightly asking you to hold in your mind God's righteousness and God's goodness. I know that that's a big idea, and I know that that's not straightforward, and we could spend a long time kind of unpacking that. But in some ways, I want to, do, I want to look at the next bit, which is the idea that God's a judge. So I'm going to ask you to hold the idea that God is good. And then we're going to jump to the, the next bit, which is that God is a judge. There is so much in scripture that talks about God as judge. A couple of scriptures, 1 Corinthians 4, 5. Um, judge nothing before the appointed time, Mary Berry. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Or this passage from Romans 2, 5 to 11. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment, righteous judge, will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honour and peace for everyone who does good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favouritism. If you are like me, you might think, is this good news? 
your immediate reaction might not be, oh, my whole body is filled with consolation and light. Uh, it might feel initially like the opposite is true. And I wonder what you feel when you hear the words righteous judgment. These are some of the phrases that leapt out to me um, that I underlined when I read that. And these are some of the things I thought. Because of my stubbornness and unrepentant heart, bit harsh. I'm storing up wrath, wrath against myself for the day of God's wrath. What on earth is that? When his righteous judgment will be revealed. For those who are self-seeking, there'll be wrath and anger. For these other good people, there'll be eternal life. I don't believe there are two types of people in the world, the goodies and the baddies. I imagine you would have your own version of what you react to or what you accept or what you might challenge or how that feels. But that was some of mine. And I think... One of the things that makes me realise when I just notice my reaction to reading some of Paul's words in Romans in these early kind of chapters are that we've got a little bit of work to do (laughs) to understand them, possibly to reclaim them uh, from the way that they might be initially kind of heard or understood in our culture. For me, when I hear the word righteous, like I've grown up in church, so it has all these kind of church connotations that are about God, but it also has this kind of, to me, it's quite a religious word. And I find it hard not to associate it with the phrase self-righteous and the idea that there are people who claim that their way is the right way, that they are the ones who are good and that therefore judge and do not have compassion on anybody else. The Westboro Baptist crew, you may well have seen them and heard them. The guys who hold up the placards condemning pretty much everybody in the most cruel terms with smiles of joy on their faces as they do it. Um, I feel like that's self-righteousness. Is that righteous judgment? And for me, the word judgment mostly is associated negatively with thinking that you are better than other people, being without compassion, being quick to judge, which also the Bible tells us not to do. To judge surely is to be judgmental. So how is this good news? Well, I just wanted to take briefly three situations, and these were literally just off the top of my head. Um, I think if I could ask you, tell me like three situations that you think are not right, that are not fair, that should be, someone should do something about. The first, emissions gate or diesel gate. You may well have heard of this. In September 2015, when the US Environmental Protection Agency announced that VW, Volkswagen, had cheated emissions tests. Did anyone hear about this in the news? Yeah. So they'd been fitting these defeat devices to their diesel cars so that when they were in the labs being tested, They could turn on controls to reduce nitrogen emissions. So basically, they could cheat the tests. They could go on emitting these fumes without being caught. And some estimates suggest that that affected 11 million cars. Last March, there was an 18-year-old boy called Azan Kaleem. And he was walking along with his girlfriend along Hartsfield Road, which is just sort of parallel to 
Vauxhall Way. And he had the briefest of disagreements with some guy who was on the street. Uh, but because of that disagreement, that guy went and he got his mates and five of them came back and they stabbed him in the street. And four of them were then sentenced to jail. In 2018, so last year, there were 67,590 reported allegations of abuse received by the Care Quality Commission. That was an increase of 82% on 2014. And the total number of allegations for those four years was 251,679. Again, you may have seen some of the documentaries about this scandal that in some care homes, in quite a lot of care homes by the sound of it, older people, those who can't care for themselves, are being mistreated by those who should be caring for them. I just picked three off the top of my head. We could sit here for hours pooling the injustice that we are aware of, the things that are not right, the things that have happened to us, the things that have happened to people in our family, to our friends, let alone thinking about beyond that. Families, communities, nations, people, groups that have been the subject of small or very large and ongoing injustices. Domestic violence, nepotism, criminal exploitation, neglect, money laundering, unequal trade deals, cover-ups, trolling, warmongering, sex trafficking. Injustice demands a response. That we see what is happening and that we say, no, that's not right. Something needs to be done. Someone needs to do something. There are some people who kind of cope with this, either philosophically or emotionally, by ignoring it. Because it does demand a response. And if you feel that nothing can be done, where do you go? What does that do if you encounter injustice and nothing can be done? There is no justice to be had. No one's going to put this right. No one saw it. No one recorded it. You couldn't tell anyone about it. What do you do with that if no one is there to put that right? So, again, we could pause there and have a really interesting discussion about this just one statement. But I'm going to assume that we're okay with this. <laughs> that injustice demands some kind of response. And I think once we, once we get there, I think there are two things that justice demands of us. The first is some kind of knowledge of what is right, of what is good. And that's because to be able to point to something and say, this is not wrong, you implicitly have some working model in your mind of like the opposite. I know the good, and that's not it. I know how the world should be, and that's not it. It's the stuff that we are learning at this very sort of tender young age with our kids that are running around. They are beginning to just separate the world into things that are right and things that are wrong, and we very much teach them about that as well. We need some vision of the good, some vision of justice. Interesting, I was thinking, like, what is a vision of of the good for me and I was thinking of a festival I was trying to imagine like what does a harmonious 
community looked like and I, I got as close as I could come to was some kind of community picnic and when I thought that my next thought was like oh I go to these and that was a really lovely thought to think when I think of some sense of like the ultimate good of what heaven might be like some sense of justice and cooperation and being with each other without there being abuse or exploitation I basically imagine this <laughs> And we see these quite regularly. Maybe that's a lack of my own imagination, or maybe that's quite comforting that heaven is closer than we think. I don't know. Some moral vision, some idea, some shared concept of what goodness is, what fairness is, what respect is, what equality is. These words we have developed to try to get us close to this idea of what is right, what is good, what is righteous. But we then also, we need to make a call as soon as we imagine this world that we long for, that we hope for, that we believe is good, when something happens in contrast to that, it's fairly natural, quite quick, that judgment happens in our minds. We, we, we you know, the phrase is call it out. I don't really like that phrase, but some kind of, some kind of process of naming it. We say, look at this. That is not right. Or as Liz likes to say, it's not Okay. And that's judgment. That's judgment. Justice needs judgment. But who gets to judge? Who can we look to for that judgment? Who knows what the good is? Who can we be confident in, has a clear moral vision that we can sign up to, whose judgments therefore flow from that vision, that perfect imagination of rightness? those in charge, surely. Did anyone see this? The, camp the political campaigning group led by donkeys projected the Im an image of Boris Johnson onto the Houses of Parliament. Um, it's, this is a still, but it's actually a little video that basically said, Boris Johnson has said he will, you know, the words changing, break the law. Is he a criminal? And these are the debates that are happening in our public life right now. What does it mean that Boris Johnson is saying he's going to break the law potentially? Does that mean he's upholding democracy because people wanted Brexit? Or does that mean as soon as he does that, if he does that, all hell breaks loose because if the Prime Minister won't uphold the law, it is all up for grabs. And there has definitely been in the last kind of 10 years just one uh, profession after the other have just gone down in some way. Their moral authority has been questioned. The politicians, the media, the, legis the legislative system, those who we look to to make right judgments. Maybe you never thought that they did make right judgments, <laughs> but in this kind of messy world, they're sort of the best we've got. Who, who is it who can really see and know what's going on? Who can call it as it really is? And who knows what the right consequences should be? Someone else's uh, vision of this. Um, let's watch this. So this is the main feed. Every action by every human on earth is recorded and then sent here to be assigned a point value based on the absolute moral worth of that action. For example, a couple in Osaka, Japan, just decided to have a destination wedding. Negative 1,200 points. Oh, and it's a destination theme wedding. Negative 4,300. The theme's Lord of the Rings. They're basically doomed. Ah, here's fun. This means that someone has just done something which has never been done before. 
Richard Moore of Sugarland, Texas, hollowed out an eggplant and filled it with hot sauce and nickels. And amazingly, it's not a weird sex thing. 99% of all new human behaviors are weird sex things, but not in this... Oh, no, it is a weird sex thing. Yeah. Well, then we zip that over to the relevant departments, in this case, Anastasia in the stuffed vegetable department. We've got Hector over in American Coins, and my dear buddy Matt in Weird Sex Things. I'm still waiting on a response to the request I filed for immediate suicide. Request denied. I love Matty. He's hilarious. So, they now examine the action. Its use of resources, the intentions behind it, mm. its effects on others. Correct. And you end up with this. And here is why tampering is impossible. Because this score is then double-checked by three billion other accountants, all chosen at random, and if they all come to the same conclusion, which they always do, it makes this official. Anyone who does this same action in the exact same way loses this many points. When people die, their biographical history and final point totals are sent to the relevant destination. This batch is going to the bad place. Thank you, Doris. The system is flawless, and tampering is quite impossible. I see. Could we look at one specific file, though, just to make sure? Oh, who do you want to see? Genghis Khan, Marie Antoinette? Walt Disney's got some freaky stuff in his file. Doug Forsett. not seeing the good place it's really good <laughs> um and i can't even remember the deal about doug Fawcett. what was the deal with doug Fawcett? was it that he was the best person who'd ever lived he figured out the system yeah to be ultimately good he had to drink his own weed to minimize his impact on the environment oh it's really good i think this is i mean this is a brilliantly imagined version of what 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 happens if you try and conjure a watertight system where correct assessments are made of all human actions? Is this what it looks like when administrators do it? <laughs> that bully who tore your self-esteem to shreds when you were kind of 10, that's okay because it's recorded by the computer and it's double-checked by three billion accountants in the good place. Or, conversely... That time when you sacrificed so much for that person and nobody paid attention. They didn't even appreciate it. It's okay because your points are recorded and your data is secure. One of the things that I think is really interesting once you start thinking about this is that throughout scripture, God is judge. It's present from beginning to end. So Adam and Eve's children, Cain and Abel, you may know the story. Uh, depicted here. Uh, Cain kills Abel over a, a disagreement about how God receives or appreciates their different sacrifices. And, and God basically says, where is Abel to Cain? And Cain lies. And the Lord says, what have you done Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you're under a curse and driven from the ground. So from the very beginning of this story, God sees and is saying, actually, I mean, the way it's expressed is, is so powerful. 
that this injustice, this murder, this blood is crying out to me for some kind of vengeance, some kind of justice, someone who saw that, even though Cain tried to do it in secret, and someone who's going to do something about it. And there is punishment. He says, when you work the ground, it's going to no longer yield your crops. You're going to be a restless wanderer on the earth. Interestingly, Cain's then saying, my punishment is more than I can bear. You're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I'll be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord says, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. What? I don't know. But clearly, God is acting as judge here, saying, well, you did this, therefore this is the consequence. But anyone who kills you, it's not a free-for-all now. They're gonna, there's going to be vengeance seven times over for them. be interesting to get into that one. And at the very end, there aren't many pictures that I can find of Jesus not looking white and bearded um, as judge in the final judgment. But at the very end in Revelation... Revelation 22:12 the very end of the bible it says look jesus saying i am coming soon my reward is with me and i will give to each person according to what they've done i'm the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end so at the very beginning at the very end god shows up as judge and whatever that final judgment is It is Jesus who is doing that judging. And I think that's important to hold because we know something about the character of Jesus, of what Jesus cares about and how Jesus acts. And that tells us something about that final judgment, that everything will be brought to light. Nothing that was done in secret, nothing, no injustice that was covered up, nothing that wasn't seen, nothing that wasn't disclosed will not be brought out into the light. Everything will be seen. And the one who can tell good from bad, who ultimately knows the points, (laughs) I don't think it'll be points, will understand what has happened and what the consequence should be. And ultimately, God's mercy will triumph over that judgment. And what about in between? I just thought for a moment, like in the, maybe maybe we don't have time for this, I don't know. Why are we doing time-wise? Has anyone got Okay, maybe just if you could turn to a few people near you, just take like three or four minutes. If you weren't looking for the bits in between Genesis and Revelation, what comes to mind around God acting as judge? Can you think of any stories or times when God acts as a judge? Should we pull some of the things we've been um, noticing? Well, would a few people just shout out? Some of the things that came to mind. Where's God as judge? Noah's Ark. That could have been very much retitled, couldn't it? I'm just like, genocide. But yeah, Noah's Ark. Yeah, a few kids' books sold. Yeah. I guess the focus is on the Ark, the saving, isn't it, rather than the dying. But. Sorry, yes, the flood. Lot's wife who looked back over her shoulder when she was told not to and turned into a pillar, pillar of salt. The woman caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery. Why is that judge judging? Okay. Does he judge her? 
what do we think? Yeah. Yeah. Or condemn. Does he say, maybe he says condemn. No, and I think he might say condemn. I wonder if, I think implicit in go and sin no more is judgment, but not condemnation. Are those things different? Um, any other things? Maybe condemnation is the, the consequence. The judgment is, yes, it's clear you were not doing something right here, but you can walk away, but don't do it again. That's the bit where the judge says, <laughs> the rounding up statement. It seems to me that in all other ways, you're an upstanding member of the community and we expect you not to do this again. Yeah, sorry, Jen. Ananias and Sephira. Sephira, I was about to say. <laughs> Who... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and Peter's like, you didn't have to give anything. Why did you say you gave it all? And so yeah, it wasn't that they didn't give enough, was it? It was that they lied. They lied about the percentage. Golly. Anyone else? Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there were so many ways the prophets were just the mouthpieces of God's judgment, weren't they? Just over and over again. Look what you've done. Look how you're failing the poor. Look how you're failing to behave rightly within your own community. Look what your kings are doing. Yeah, I mean, I think we could carry on for a long time, but I think there's a lot of judgment. <laughs> um, when we look at it, there's a lot of s- stating how what is going on is not what should be going on identifying it and saying this this isn't right this is not good <laughs> sounds like fabian's going girls girls <laughs> <laughs> lamp dimming okay that was yeah that i think the um I think having said that we're not going to go into kind of the relationship between God's righteousness and God's judgment, there is, so, there is a very interesting story here of how what it meant that God was good at particular historical moments and the way that was, came to us through the scriptures, some of that looks different in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And the judgment reflects what it means to be good in those different periods, you could argue. And so we see a very different response from Jesus faced with sin, with wrongness. Of course, any time you think about this story, you have to ask, and where was he? (laughs) Was there any consequences for the guy who was presumably, unless he was single and and was completely blameless, it was her who got the rap. Um, But this is a very different God encounter in terms of judgment and righteous judgment it feels very different than what we've seen in the Old Testament. And so how we understand the continuity or the, or the lack of continuity between those two pieces of the story often affects whether or not we think God is good and God is able to judge. So I've tried to set out some ideas inspired, inspired really by that kind of passage in Romans 2 um, around what it might mean that God's a righteous judge and why that might be good news. And essentially, I think what I'm saying is 
we live in an incredibly unjust world. And that injustice demands a response if we want to be truly alive as human beings. To respond to that injustice, we have to have some vision of what is good and what is right. And we need to be able to, we need to make judgments. And there's no one fully capable of doing that on earth. But God has held that role since the beginning, promising that where justice is not fulfilled on earth, which it probably 95% of the time is not, it will be on a final day. And that we begin to see what that judgment looks like in Jesus. So I think I feel differently about this passage when I think about the level of injustice that there is in the world. I think although our culture probably, you know, the soup that we're kind of swimming in, in terms of how we think about these words, righteousness and justice and judgment and all those kinds of things, our environment probably would lead us to reject a judging God or to not particularly warm to a judging God at the very least of all the categories, you know, all the words we could assign to God. The one we probably wouldn't boast about is, oh, and and he judges too. We'd probably put that right at the bottom. But we can only desire a non-judging God if we have never been screwed over, if we've never witnessed injustice, if we've not been watching the news with our eyes open, or if we've had our eyes closed to other people's suffering. Because what else do you tell the families of those who are killed in the Holocaust, or those who have suffered real abuse and nobody knows they've never told anyone about it, those whose cases never go to trial, those who never get heard? In fact, when I think about that, the thought of a God who doesn't have wrath is much more offensive. The thought of a God who doesn't get angry when he sees children that he deeply, deeply loves suffering injustices, who would just passively, unemotionally sit by and observe that, that's much more offensive than the idea of a God who might get angry or who might even want to judge. I think... More and more, actually, the more I kind of try to hold and see the injustice rather than just shut it out of my mind, the more comforting I find the idea that there might be someone who holds the weighing scales of history, who might be capable of one day seeing all of it and saying, this is what really, really happened and this is what it means. Do we want a detached figure who doesn't get involved or... A God who was so torn up by that pain, so torn up by that injustice that he came to experience in himself, to go into death, to go fully into that injustice and triumph over it and come out the other side. Instead, I see that anger as being protective. When something really unjust happened to me, one of my friends got really, really angry and they were angry for about nine months. And I cannot tell you how comforting that was to me. Paul is telling us that God wants a world where no one is abused, neglected, forgotten, mistreated or abandoned. That he feels anger when this happens and he will not move on and he will not forget. Because it's not okay. But he's not distant. This is an image that was made by um, a couple of lads aged 12 as part of a project that Youthgate ran. That was basically saying, where is God? What is God like? Show us through art your God. And for some people, if you think about God's judgment and God's observation, it's like this. 
God is like, or like the administrators in the good place, capable of recording, but far away and doesn't really care. So an accurate recorder, but just a piece of tech. Whereas this image tells us something very different. This is a new kind of justice, a new kind of judgment. And while we're waiting for all those broken bits of the universe that will never receive full justice, there is a promise that one day that justice will come, but it will be wrapped up in God's mercy and God's total love for us. So the good news is we have a judge 